From Michigan Radio, this is It's Just Politics. I'm Zoe Clark. We are eager to chase our bright future with hustle and grit. Michigan, the state of our state, is strong and ready to go. Governor Whitmer delivering her fifth State of the State address this week. We cannot mistake pessimism for intelligence, and we must never forget who we are. A tax cut for low-income working families. Let's expand the Working Families Tax Credit, delivering at least $3,000 refunds to 700,000 families. Preschool for all four-year-olds. We all want what's best for our kids. So let's expand our bipartisan preschool effort the Great Start Readiness Program, so every four-year-old in Michigan can access a free public preschool education by the end of my second term. And gun safety. We must do more. So the world our kids inherit is not more violent than the one we inhabit now. The time for only thoughts and prayers is over. It was the first address a Democratic governor has delivered in front of a Democratic majority in 40 years. Just a few months ago, Michiganders told us that people should be able to make their own decisions about their own bodies. Let's get to work. So what can actually get done? And what was the Republican response? On transportation, I'd like to see what a real infrastructure plan she has. We have $9 billion on the books. To help answer those questions, Zach Gorchow, executive editor and publisher of Gong War News Service, is here. Hi, Zach. Hello, Zoe. Lauren Gibbons, Capitol reporter at Bridge, Michigan. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Zoe. Thanks for having me. And it's Just Politics co-host and senior Capitol correspondent Rick Pluta also here. Hello, Rick. Hello. So first, you three, let's just go around. And I mean, literally, if I combine the number of state of the state addresses y'all have covered, I mean, I'm not going to start counting because it would literally take up this entire show. But each of you has covered many a governor state of the state address. I'm really curious, just first kind of overview, what stood out to you the most? Rick, let me start with you. What stood out was the governor calling for bipartisanship, saying that there's lots of things that uh, we could work on. As a matter of fact, at one point, I I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that she was talking about uh, EITC and uh, doing stuff to help children. Uh, She's like, we've got to be able to agree on that. Um, that uh, it was a call for bipartisanship. But uh, nevertheless, the tone of the speech was very much Democrats in charge. Lauren? Yeah, quoting Ronald Reagan uh, was a surprise (laughs) to me while talking about the uh, earned income tax credit. But certainly, um, you know, there weren't too many surprises in this speech. She has talked about a lot of these things before, but kind of the confidence in the delivery of these things, having that Democratic majority, although slim, um, it was certainly a different tone than her previous state of the states. Zach? I agree with all of that. And I'll just say, like, there was definitely a feeling I got that a governor who was largely stymied by a Republican-led legislature in her first four years uh, decided to, to spike the football a little bit, because when she was talking about things that hadn't happened, that she wanted to happen or was proposing, she was staring down Mm -hmm. the east side of the House chamber, which is the Republican side of the House chamber. And it it, it really felt to me like, you know, like Rick said, we are in charge. The Democrats are in charge. Get on board or get out of the way. I'm fascinated by these 
addresses and what they're meant to do. Um, I think each speech in each year, depending on each governor and each audience, needs to do something different. A Democratic governor delivering a state of the state address with a majority in both the state House and Senate, that affects what you're actually going to put out in a speech as opposed to just sort of a wish list. Lauren, I'm curious how much you heard as sort of a Democratic wish list versus bullet points of, and here's what you're going to see, Michiganders from Democrats who are now in charge. You know, at least right now, uh, Democrats are pretty optimistic about this situation. That is going to be a little difficult sometimes with such a slim majority. Uh, Certainly, there's going to be some things they'll want to work with Republicans on. But you got the sense from a lot of the Democratic lawmakers that uh, they they see this as an attainable wish list, um, if anything. So I thought that was really interesting. And, and, you know, certainly they are moving really quickly uh, to try and at least get some of these priorities done. We've already seen some action on the earned income tax credit and the uh, pension tax. So it's it's definitely, uh, certainly they're very interested in getting things done sooner rather than later and hitting as many things as they can. Now, in terms of how much some of these things will cost, that that could be more wish list-esque, but uh, certainly they are very optimistic at this point. I, I mean, I the, the tone of it is so interesting that here you have uh, a now a democratic unified government. And for years, Democrats have always been the ones who have been a little more hesitant about cutting taxes. You know, we need to make sure you know, services are well-funded. Uh, and because of this $9 billion surplus, about a, a billion and a half of which is expected to be an ongoing amount of money, that's all out the window. Uh, th- there was an extraordinary comment that I thought Senate Majority Leader Brinks and Speaker Tate had, both Democrats, after the speech. And this is in the context of expanding the earned income tax credit, uh, rolling back how retirement income is taxed, and the expectation that there's probably going to be an automatic income tax rate cut. And they were asked, you know, how is this going to be paid for? And they said, well, there's the surplus, but this is also going to generate new economic activity. And if you've been around the Capitol long enough, you know what an extraordinary statement that is, because if you closed your eyes, you could have heard John Engler saying that exact comment. Um, it, it's it, That is Republican orthodoxy, yeah. that cutting taxes generates economic activity and more revenue. So it's an extraordinary situation that, that Democrats have not had this situation where they have come into power with the government flush. You you talked about 1983, the last time Democrats were in control, the state was broke. Mm -hmm. Jim Blanchard had to spend all his political capital on a large income tax increase to keep the lights on. So this is a totally different scenario. Which was why they then lost power, because there were recalls over some of these votes. Yeah, to Zach's point that a central element of the governor's speech was progressive policymaking is also good economics, that if you expand the EITC, then you are making it easier for uh, people to 
you know, find and hang on to jobs, that if you expand Michigan's Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act to cover LGBTQ people, that you are making Michigan a welcoming place for workers and uh, employers, that uh, when you talk about early childhood, same thing, that you're making it easier for people to find and keep jobs at a time when employers are uh, looking for them. So just to, you know, circle back and reinforce the point that uh, this wasn't Republican orthodoxy about lower taxes. This was progressive politics makes business sense. Let's take a listen. Governor Whitmer here talking about that relationship between what she is saying is inclusivity and a growing economy. States with extreme laws are losing talent and investment because you know what? Bigotry is bad for business. Right. I think when we talk about uh, the governor and legislative Democrats, you know, being bipartisan and working with Republicans, they're making very clear on certain issues like expanding Elliott Larson to include LGBTQ residents or repealing the 1931 ban on abortion. They are not playing games there. They are going to get rid of those things. And they're making that very clear right out of the gate. And it is an interesting argument and certainly one that Democrats have made throughout the election cycle. Like these things, um, you know, if uh, if the government makes clear that uh, it's supportive and inclusive of all types, um, you know, they're making that case and they have made that case and they feel pretty confident in that case because they did win back the majority. So I think it'll be really interesting to see, you know, what goes beyond some of those low hanging fruit, you know, how do they continue to uh, like what other policies are they putting forward? Um, are there going to be, you know, ex- for example, um, anything in the budget that pertains to LGBTQ or, you know, uh, reproductive rights? Like those those will be really interesting to watch. But certainly uh, Governor Whitmer was making a very strong point that this is not something she's planning to budge on. Zach, what wasn't in the speech and why? Well, there were there were some really significant things not in the speech. Uh, obviously, right to work. This is the um, law that was put in place in 2012, saying you cannot compel membership in a union or payment of a non-member agency fee. There was nothing about uh, dealing with some of the major concerns about the 2019 auto no fault rewrite regarding mm-hmm. how uh, healthcare clinics are reimbursed, um, and there was nothing about. Uh, expanding the number of uh, maximum weeks of unemployment, which was a bill that a key Democrat just introduced. Um, And there were others as well. But those are three right off the bat. Um, And I think, uh, you know, why weren't those mentioned? They, they, They don't necessarily neatly fit into the box of, I think, what the governor wanted to emphasize, which were things that are broadly popular and have great appeal. Um, You know, the, the, as, you know, universal background checks has a lot of appeal. Um, there's public support for expanding the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act, and it, it it's not going to have any real tangible immediate impact because the courts have already said that it, it it can be expanded to sexual orientation and gender identity. And uh, you know, unemployment benefits, while that I think is generally a popular thing, 
the state's unemployment insurance agency has had so many problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that, you know, they're looking to necessarily put anything that puts a highlight on that in a in a major speech right now. That's Zach Gorchow, executive editor and publisher of Gongwer News Service. Lauren Gibbons is also here, Capitol reporter at Bridge, Michigan. And it's just politics co-host and senior Capitol correspondent Rick Pluta. Well, let's turn to the Republican response to the speech, the GOP in the minority for the first time time in decades. Um, Here is Republican House Minority Leader Matt Hall right after the speech. I think what stood out to me most was how political the speech was and how there were not a lot of details. I think for the first time, Governor Whitmer has a Democrat majority in the House and Senate, but yet I didn't hear a detailed plan on how we're going to fix the roads. Lauren, a political speech lacking details? (laughs) Yeah, certainly. I mean, this is always a um, this is always a time when, you know, the, the broad priorities are out and then the devils will be in the details later. Um, I did think that was an interesting point and something I noticed as well. Certainly, uh, the governor has throughout her time in office really emphasized infrastructure, but we haven't necessarily heard exactly what she's planning on doing or what what direction she plans to take. She's introduced um, introduced proposals for gas tax increases in the past. She's indicated that that is not on the table, at least for now, this time around. So what is she going to do? We don't exactly know. Um, but I I would imagine that especially when uh, the budget proposal comes out a little bit later this year, and, uh, you know, as, as we start seeing additional bills getting introduced by Democrats, we'll, we'll probably start to see a little bit more policy. But I do think it's interesting at this point, you know, what we have heard and seen from Democrats so far has largely, you know, been some of these symbolic gestures uh, and, and things that they have been pushing for for a long time. But it will be really fascinating to see how they handle um, big policy changes that might be a bit of a heavier lift. I mean, it makes me think back to uh, early um, in the uh, first Whitmer term that uh, she came to a deal with Republicans on auto insurance, which was a uh, nettlesome, um, hard to impossible, you know, maybe issue uh, seemingly to resolve. And uh, she gave a lot in hopes of setting a tone for what was going to be the next four years. And Republicans gave back nothing. And uh, the administration has got to be remembering that when they're looking at how they expect and intend to uh, negotiate with the uh, opposition, which is in the minority right now. Well, let's take a a listen about working uh, bipartisanly. Here is uh, Senate Republican minority leader Eric Nesbitt after the speech. She won by a decent margin, but in the legislature with even these new districts that, that were put out there, they only have a one seat advantage. And so I think they're going to find that it's going to be important to build relationships across the aisle and actually work with us. Zach, are you surprised that that's sort of now that we need to all work bipartisanly and and hold hands kind of vibe that you're getting from uh, Senator Nesbitt? I mean, this is what the minority caucus always says, that they, they urge the governor and the majority to work in a bipartisan fashion. And and the shoes on the other foot for everybody right now, um, you know, for the majority caucus, especially one that is just coming into power as a former Republican House speaker put it, quote, you know, quote, the agenda is the priority, not coming up with 
you know, bipartisan compromises that water down what their priorities are. But Senator Nesbitt is right that they can't, the Democrats don't have unlimited power here. They're still, you know, the, the we in the weeds matter of immediate effect. And in the Michigan Senate, you have to have a two thirds majority vote for immediate effect. And that means at least six Republican votes. Um, so you're going to see uh, there will have to be some accommodations made within reason. You can't, you know, they're not going to shut down the, the government over immediate effect. But you saw it yes, you know, yesterday with um, this budget bill that even though uh, most Republicans voted against this $1.1 billion supplemental, there were more than enough Senate Republicans to give it immediate effect. And I think people saw as they looked at some of the spending items there were some items in Republican areas uh, that surely was was helpful in getting those immediate effect votes. So the Senate Republicans do have some leverage. Senator Nesbitt's right that uh, the Democrats can't completely ignore them. But as far as the, like the big picture, big priority items, the Democrats are going to do what they need to do to get 56 and 20 votes. And uh, and and do it quickly because you know you when you have the majority you use the majority. Uh, one of the things I am wondering about is how these new constitutionally mandated uh, legislative district lines are going to potentially change things. You know, how many more centrist Republicans and centrist Democrats do we have who are going to be willing to cross over for the sake of making deals that? Uh, are we going to see a situation like we used to have, you know, even preterm limits where the most liberal Republican is maybe more liberal than the most conservative Democrat? And are we going to be seeing people sort of, you know, breaking away to try and, uh, you know, operate independently and make some deals for their districts? That's Rick Pluta, senior capital correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network. We are going to be watching that indeed, along with Lauren Gibbons, capital reporter at Bridge, Michigan, and Zach Gorchow, executive editor and publisher of Gongwer News Service. Hey, you guys, thanks so much for your time today and, and your insight. Great to be here. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. That's It's Just Politics for today, the last Friday in January of 2023. You're looking for more insights from what's happening in Lansing with this new legislature. You can subscribe to the It's Just Politics podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts from. I am Zoe Clark. Thanks so much for listening this week. We'll talk again next Friday. 